<laughs> finish notes and stuff. All right, uh, Adam, you have the listener review? Yes. I'm going to Rotten Tomatoes today instead of Letterboxd for some thoughts on Jupiter <laughs> Ascending. Letterboxd didn't have a good take on it in any way. Mm. We'll what see. The, uh, the usual rating for it on Letterboxd. The rating for it on Letterboxd was... You know my scale, right, uh, Adam? With zero to five stars? No, it's uh, like I say like anything over three is like pretty good. Anything over three and a half is really good. And anything over four is like incredible. Right. So let's see where if this is like over four or over three and a half. Let's see. 2.1. Yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> this one is going to be a banger. I'm telling you right now. Uh-huh. Let's see. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 15 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-time cowards. I am Trevor, and allow me to introduce my co-host, not half-man, half-dog, full-dog. It's Adam Cervantes-Wagner. What's up, Adam? How you doing, Trevor? Good. Very good Channing Tatum impression. Thank you. I also look like him to all the listeners out there. Yeah, it's fun. We're actually recording this one on Zoom, uh, and Adam is not showing his face like the coward he is, but our guest and myself are showing our face. Yeah, I usually uh, record these things naked also, so. Yeah, uh, we, we usually do not record uh, showing our faces at all because we cannot look our guests in the eye. We can't look each other in the eye, <laughs> but today we're switching it up. Uh, how have you been, Adam? I, he- I heard you're going to Ikea soon. You let that slip in the pre-show. That's right. I'm pretty excited. Uh, please leave us uh, plenty of reviews about cool ikea objects that you have in your home yeah oh yeah sorry am i supposed to ask you right now do we have any listener reviews this week adam oh you know what trevor we do go Uh, ahead and read it i want to hear what these people have to say to us this is coming from user listener leb789 title made me angry (laughs) subject how dare these nerds talk trash about my sweet baby cakes, Hayden Christensen. Mm-hmm. Can't believe I spent my very valuable time listening to this garbage. I hope they quit. And uh, five stars. Five stars. Oh, thank you, LEB. That was a very, very nice review. Uh, mm-hmm. If anyone else wants to leave us a review, uh, go on the Apple iTunes store or whatever. Leave us five stars and roast us in the review, just like Ellie did. Uh, okay, so I want to talk about that review. But first, I have to introduce our guest who's just sitting here very politely um please welcome to the show uh someone that when i thought of having my own podcast and by the way my own podcast not adam and i's podcast this is my <laughs> podcast uh this is like um uh what, what do the kids say s s tier guest uh, uh um what is what is it adam well why do people say that why do people say a tier and s tier uh i think it has to do with video games i think yeah. uh, there's rankings in video games where s is even higher than a yeah, that's all confusing to me, but I, that means I was correct. This is an S-tier guest. Uh, please mm-hmm. welcome, uh, I know him from a lot of things, but y'all will know him from the Waffle Press podcast, Sir Diego Crespo. Welcome to the show, Diego. Thank you. That was a fantastic introduction. I'm not, I'm not getting a better than that for the rest of my life. Uh, I also don't understand video games, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm not really sure what S tier means, but I mean, uh, listen, we're, we're gonna play we're gonna play a little game later where people have to talk about what they're saying online and defending what they've been saying online recently, Adam. But uh, <laughs> I I, uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm starting to really lose, and I I turned 30 
uh, earlier this year, not earlier this year, last year. And it's just, I'm starting to lose touch for sure. Like, like, you know how people always joke about how when the Coachella lineup comes out, they're like, I don't know any of these bands. I don't know any of the words I'm seeing online anymore. Like that's how bad it's getting. <laughs> well, I, I I'm right there with you too. Like I, I'm not a Coachella dude. I admire it from afar and I'm like, looks like everyone's having fun. I don't know what happens there. Is it, I, I thought it was the same thing as Burning Man for like five <laughs> years, I swear. And I thought Burning Man was like the Wicker Man, like a ritual where people go out to the desert and just burn someone alive. Um, I, I wanted to bring you in a little early on the show here because that uh, review that we were just talking about mentioned Hayden Christensen. We just watched Attack of the Clone, Adam and I. Uh, Attack of the Clone. Attack of the Clone. <laughs> and um, uh, by the way, my big question in that, in that episode was, uh, who are the clones? Like, I, did, I couldn't figure it out throughout the entire movie. But I will say this, Adam. Guess what I've been doing recently? watching the other two prequels so can, oh. we, can we talk about the prequels for just a hot second uh we have a great guest to do that yeah you got uh, some new rankings for us i have the exact same rankings i thought i did attack of the clones <laughs> is the worst prequel <laughs> and then i think that the second best prequel and this is where the hot take comes in is um revenge of the sith and then i think the best one and the one i had the most fun with was the phantom menace diego what do you think of this I completely understand that. I have I, I have been in a very weird space every year revisiting the prequels because at the very least, like whether you think they work or not, they have something to like offer. I, I actually think, I might have kind of a boring opinion. I think Revenge of the Sith is the best one uh, and I would even call it like a good film. Uh, Attack <laughs> of the Clones, I, I think is actually really good. I rewatched it last year during pandemic. So maybe it's pandemic brain, but I was like, I think I was wrong about this one. And I, I think it's like, it's like George Lucas pureed every film fascination he ever had and put it in the same movie, you know? And the, that's like insane, but I love it. Um, and then Phantom Menace, I think is like a good movie for kids. Like it's got lots of bright colors and exciting stuff. And there's a fun like adventure structure to it. The problem is there's like no construction in the moment to moment stuff. So it drags a lot, but I don't know. I, I got a soft spot for the prequels now. I, I think, I, I think, you know, millennials kind of softened up on them as the years went on. Yeah, I like that. Uh, well, George Lucas is sort of on top of his game when we get to Revenge of the Sith, which is, is probably why it is the best there. But uh, I think uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul is maybe the best uh, lightsaber fight in the whole saga. May oh, Second, if only to the throne room scene in uh, episode eight. Yeah, well, we're all big on episode eight here, and uh, Diego and okay, you good. are as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we actually had our buddy Cody Chavez on to talk about Attack of the Clones, uh, and we told him that we would have him on to talk about Last Jedi one day, and I want you to be on that episode as well, because I wanted to be four people who are just fully on board to Last Jedi and just make it completely unlistenable, unlistenable to anyone who doesn't like that movie. But um, yeah, we're not here to talk about the prequels. Uh, thank you for weighing in on that. But uh, we have an awesome, awesome movie to talk about today that's not the prequels, but may, may as well just be a prequel to Star Wars. But um, before we do that, I do have a couple of questions that I ask every guest. Uh, Diego, you know, because you are an avid listener of this podcast, that Ghost Party Radio breaks down genres of cinema, genres by genre. This is only our second one so far. Uh, but what is your favorite genre of cinema? What would you say if you had to just pinpoint it? It, it's so hard because like it's I, I thought about this a lot and I think I have to settle just to make the, the conversation more fluid like on horror because you can do so much with horror it can be like much more grounded and realistic you can do something fantastical like 
I would consider the exorcist horror. I know that's like a controversial debate now because everyone's like, it's a psychological thriller. It's a religious drama. Like it can be all of those things. That umbrella covers all of that, you know? Or like I would consider Mandy, the 2018 Nick Cage film, like an avenue of horror. It's not like specifically scary, but there's horror like imagery with it, you know? And so I think just like, it's the most flexible genre. And that, that's what excites me about it. So what, what, what are the uh, key scenes or key items that make a good horror film for you? Okay, like I, I would like, okay, Alien is probably my favorite film, like period. Uh, I think there's, there's got to be something very tense, something that challenges the characters or, or the, the viewer mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, that unsettles them. It, the atmosphere, I think atmosphere is very important. I don't think a film can really be scary or thrilling without the right atmosphere. So like in those really intense movies, like any of the original three aliens, like the, the sweats beating on people's foreheads, the heavy like as the alien creaks around the corner like to me that's horror but also like something like get out is horror you know someone's taking over the black person's body that's like horrifying you know white white people taking over other people's bodies that's that's the worst thing in the world uh you're yeah you hit the nail on the head with horror being the most flexible genre i think i'm i've made a couple of short films in my time <laughs> and, and they're very good oh thank you <laughs> adam won't say it coward thank you <laughs> thank you Diego. <laughs> that's right uh, uh he will not <laughs> um people think that ghost party radio is a horror podcast is a genre podcast but we really are a horror like if you, my, my background on zoom right now is almost it is all horror it's literally um <laughs> But I can't wait till the, the wheel lands on a horror genre for us because I think that's really when the podcast is going to get hot because like that's where I have a lot a lot of my friends who would come on the show and talk about horror movies. But we're not talking horror. We're talking space opera. Diego, what's your history with space opera on film? Do you have any favorites? Uh, like everyone, Star Wars is probably the root of that. You know, I mean, Star Wars is kind of like the cinematic franchise, like the holy grail of franchises for movies. Um, but I did basically burn out the VHS trilogy tapes back in the day uh, with my dad. I saw a lot of Return of the Jedi. That was my favorite as a kid. Grew out of it. Now I'm older. Now I grew back into it. Now it's my favorite Star Wars film. Um, Last Jedi is, is is the business, though. Let's make that clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, like it, it's kind of there aren't that many great ones. There, there might be some interesting ones like B movie like fascinations like battle beyond the stars and stuff like that but they kind of seem far and few between you know like you really have to stretch at guardians of the galaxy i'm a fan of those films a lot like like Mm -hmm. specifically the second one i think is fantastic uh i will fight like you can leave or take like the other marvel movies i will fight for volume two like tooth and nail all right um and then besides that, yeah, it's like it's Star Wars, you know, it's it's kind of uh, got a monopoly on the space opera yeah, for better or worse. Interesting that uh, you enjoy Return of the Jedi. I know that's one of Trevor's favorites and uh, one of my least favorites. Yeah, we when we ranked when we were uh, just three dudes sitting around ranking the Star Wars movies on our Attack of the Clones episode, the, the part that everyone wanted to hear. Uh, Return of the Jedi is my favorite, and it was pretty low on both of the, the, our guests and uh, Adam's list. We we I mean we've literally been over this, but they didn't like the Endor stuff. I love the Endor stuff. I mean, I love a forest planet. What can what can you say? I like that it's kind of like a casual hangout film for like the middle chunk of that movie. 
it totally has the most problems with the original trilogy. I'm not crazy about Princess Leia not having that much to do. She doesn't really like her and Han's arcs are kind of like done and they just kind of like hang out until the end and they get some fun like action beats, but like it totally needs work. It, I, I concede completely to all the criticisms about Return of the Jedi. I don't concede to Ewoks sucking. I think they're fantastic. They're little teddy bears that fight like the Viet Cong. That is like objectively awesome. Uh, and everything with Luke, Vader, and the Emperor is like, that's like the best stuff in Star Wars. I think that like, like look at like the era it's from specifically. I know we're not here to talk about Return of the Jedi, but I just got to say this. <laughs> no, so, like, I, 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 to- I totally agree with you. Everything you've said, by the way. Thank you. Um, but like, you know, you, you expect the villain to be confronted, defeated, and even killed at that point, right? Like even still now in like movies, that's like the common thing. But Luke's journey through that trilogy and culminating in that film isn't about killing his father. It's about forgiving and like being empathetic and showing him that like you might have lost your humanity, but I haven't. And that like that message, I think, for kids is so huge. Like just even now, I I think that that's what makes Star Wars like everlasting, like New Hope, Empire. They're probably like, quote unquote, better films or whatever, but. Return of the Jedi just brings it home so well, in my opinion, that like it's why I still love Star Wars, even if I hated like six out of nine, which I don't. I'm, I'm a I like all of them, basically. But there is one at the bottom of those nine. And uh, I have a feeling what it is, Diego. What might it be? Uh, <laughs> it came out pretty recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about a year and a half ago now basically right. right yeah we appreciate yeah, you a... here diego thank yeah. you yeah sorry everyone millennials are not gonna soften up on on rise of skywalker that will never happen. I, yeah i don't think so either <laughs> all right well i had a feeling that this might devolve into a little bit of star wars talk too much star wars talk for uh, for a jupiter ascending episode but let's talk about the movie we're here to talk about um, let me read some reviews real quick from this film from the Wachowski Starship, which they themselves have said they don't call each other that. That is not what they go by. It is not the Wachowski Starship. Uh, okay, so we usually give a little context to this movie, but I'm going to read some reviews first. I usually go on Letterboxd, but nobody really had a great take on Jupiter Ascending other than our guest here, Diego, uh, which is how I found him for this specific movie for this uh, podcast. But let's read it, all right? Uh, it looks like D Golding on uh, Rotten Tomatoes from Dear Cast and Crew says it's a campy, cheesy, gleeful tribute to the space opera. Hmm. An episode of Flash Gordon with a limitless bank account. All that's missing is Freddie Mercury screeching, Jupiter, ah, savior of the universe. What do you think about that, Adam? Uh, that was pretty good, Trevor. I'd like to hear you sing more on this podcast. No, I'm not talking about my singing. I'm thinking, what about the review? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's okay. You know, pretty generous. Uh, Flash Gordon with a with an endless bank account. I love that. Uh, by the way, Diego, Flash Gordon was one of the movies we've already discussed on the space opera thing, and it really shaded my view of this movie. There's like literal scenes from Flash Gordon that are just taken for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, our next review is from uh, Jennifer Heaton from the Al- Alternative Lens, uh, and she says, at this point, the Wachowskis have seriously dipped their toes into Shyamalan territory, and it's going to take something really impressive to get them out of this rut. Yeah, I don't even know. Well, I mean, that could be a compliment, right? I feel like that's also saying that the Wachowskis and Shyamalan have such a distinct feel to all their movies, you know, and, and you know what you're getting into. 
They certainly do, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, our last review here is from David Solston from BBC News, and he says, It may fall well short of being meaningful sci-fi, but Jupiter Ascending is a campy visual sci-fi spectacle that could very well become a cult classic. So we're here today, folks. Let's figure it out. Is Jupiter Ascending a cult classic? What's your history with this film, Diego? Uh, I remember 2015. This was when I was really into like the the marvel stuff in particular and so my my like perception of like other films that were a little more sincere and goofy was like ah, i don't really need that in my life and then i saw a little film called jupiter ascending and i i remember this is right around the time i started really loving speed racer too uh and i guess spoiler alert i i liked jupiter ascending i didn't love it but i was like hey this is like weird and it looks gorgeous i saw it on, on not an imax but like a, the amc at a universal city walk and i was just like whoa this is this is like it feels different and i i didn't know really like how to feel about it yet like i wasn't comfortable in my own opinions yet and and now i'm i'm happy to say that i do love it it is not i don't think it's great i don't think it's a home run but i i think it's got a lot to offer in kind of uh john carter sort of like van helsing 1999 the mummy kind of way a very sincere adventure that uh your mileage may vary adam one of the bad boys of podcasting the heel of this podcast in particular what is your history with jupiter ascending um so for the avid listeners they'll know that uh, i've already mentioned uh, that i have also seen this in theaters when it came out back in 2015 this was my second time watching it um, and I was very much not looking forward to, to watching it again. Thank you, Trevor, for picking it. Uh, you know, but this is a, this is an arc just like any other where I think I might have come around a little bit and I did not hate this movie. I oh. enjoyed parts of it for sure. Oh, my God. That. OK, Whew, folks, strap in. We have ourselves a podcast. I had never seen this movie. I am a fan of the Wachowskis. Uh, really, really, really. I mean, I love The Matrix. I love Matrix Reloaded. I love Bound. I love Speed Racer. I love the movie that Ghost directed, uh, V for Vendetta. Um, I, I, I still like V for Vendetta. Like, I literally, like, people are like, you haven't grown out of that? No, that, that was the first movie I ever saw that was like, I saw it when I was 14, and it was like, that. Um, this is my favorite movie. Like, that's what I said when I saw it. And I saw it literally the next night after I saw it the first time and it's not my favorite movie anymore, but it easily could be my top 50 movies of all time. And people can clown on me for all that, all they want. Diego, I want to say something. You did say something. You weren't quite um, comfortable with your opinion when you saw the movie, you, you so much so on Twitter and all the writing that you do. And then another uh, guest we had on the podcast earlier to talk about the handmaiden, Kevin Cookman are the two people I go to when I want an opinion on a movie, because I don't know, I don't know two people who are more comfortable with their opinion. I, there's just no BS. It's just like, I, I, you don't have to sway with what the, the, the common criticism for a movie is or what the zeitgeist is telling you. You two, um, have you met Kevin, by the way? I don't think I have, but thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I think you two would, would have awesome, awesome discourse on anything that comes out. Talk about WandaVision or something. I don't know. Anyways, um, but I just streamed it. It's available on Netflix. Uh, I saw it for the first time. 
Uh, Adam, you're going to love this. So I broke it up into three parts. <laughs> Not that it's a really long movie. It's just that I have these drive-ins that I'm constantly at and all that. So I came back from the drive-in last night and I lit two of my favorite candles and I watched the first hour and I thought it moved, man. I thought it really moved. And I was like, wait, like, I don't even have to like ironically be on the show and act like I'm on Diego's side liking this movie. Like, I'm like, I kind of like this movie. I mean, yeah, it like is weirdly edited and definitely there's a lot much longer cut of it laying around somewhere you can tell. And we had this problem with the fifth element too, where there's clearly like a European cut of the fifth element somewhere, but we like the fifth element and it literally broke our rating system, by the way, um, which, you know, maybe this one will, we'll see. But then this morning, so I signed up for, um, I go to the sauna, like the, uh, the electric sauna, like where you go into your own little sauna and it's safe and you're a mask on and stuff like that. And they have the capability to watch Netflix. I say, why would anyone ever watch Netflix if they're trying to like relax or whatever? So I watched 50 minutes, the last 50 minutes of the movie in a sauna, uh, literally in like a sweat dream. And I thought, this is the perfect way to watch the rest of this movie. And where I landed on it, and we're going to get through all of our favorite stuff and blah, 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 is that it's just like so if you were to like rank all 23 or 24 Marvel movies or whatever, like where would you put Jupiter ascending? Like for me, it'd be like easily top 10 Marvel movies. <laughs> like I just, it, there's so much going on and so much originality. I thought the effects really looked good. Um, I, I think this is my, for sure, my favorite Eddie Redmayne performance. My mother told me what was necessary to rule in this universe. Like killing people? I create life! The Oscar goes to Eddie Redmayne! Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> I don't like that dude in anything. And then, and then I, know, I knew he got clowned on for this movie really hard. And he was like acting. I'm like, I like this. I don't like Mila Kunis and much stuff. I thought she was totally fine. That was going to be my big trip up was Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. I thought that's where I was going to be like, I'm out. I love the Wachowskis. I probably like what they're doing here, but I thought they were both totally fine. I don't, I don't know, Adam, what did you think of the performances for on this one? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I also do think that Redmayne uh, pulled it off. Um, and it, it, it's cool that you, <laughs> it's cool that you, uh, Said sauna because uh, for when I was watching this, I actually flew to Italy and uh, had a personal hot tub, and I was being fed truffles while I while I finished watching this movie. Um, it didn't really affect you know the viewing, but I don't know about Mila Kunis in here. I feel like that might have been uh, a little bit off. I think she is a great actress, but maybe not for here. I don't. I I, I was thinking about it the whole movie, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but it just didn't feel right. And I do like Channing Tatum, although he looks strange as a uh, bleach blonde furry prince wolf guy. Uh, Diego, what, what did you think? I, I agree, I, Adam. I, I I do agree with you there. I, I can't I can't disagree. But what do you think overall of the performances in this? Uh, yeah, Eddie Redmayne. This is his good performance. Like the dude has gone on record saying, like, no, I, I disown that performance. This is the one where I, I I just couldn't quite get it. And I'm like, dude, stop talking. This is the best. <laughs> This is why I'll never like you because you won't embrace what you're good at. Um, sorry, it's got to get that out of my chest. But uh, Mila Kunis, I don't dislike her, but she does feel a little bit like the studio was like, this is your star. It doesn't feel quite like specific enough to the Wachowskis. It does feel like these are your stars for this movie to get a green lit. 
Uh, and I do like Channing Tatum actually as an actor. And I, I think he's pretty good in this too. Uh, I really like Sean Bean in this a lot. I love me some, some Bean. Uh, and this was the era when he was getting killed off in everything he did. And so the fact that like, I guess, spoiler alert, that he didn't made me very happy because I, I love Sean Bean as an actor. I don't, I don't know him personally. Be an Absolutely. You never know. No, that was the uh, runaway performance, I think, for this. Is I loved watching him, too. I, I was into his character. I wanted to see more of him in there. Um, yeah, you know what's kind of weird is that the Wachowskis are usually pretty good on representation, and you can also see that in this film, too, with a lot of uh, people of color in, in this movie. But it is sort of weird that they didn't choose to do that with the main character, who's like intentionally an immigrant. The first line is like, technically, I'm an alien. And then also weird that they didn't do that with Channing Tatum's character either, who said, like, it's in my genes, you know, that's where all his problems stem from and whatnot. Yeah, uh, Diego had a good point about Channing Tatum and um, Mila Kunis kind of being like, here are your stars. You want to make this $150 million completely original sci-fi movie, this is who you have to cast. It did feel like a Netflix algorithm or something that was like, these are the two that will get people to the movie theater. And it's like, that is inherently... That's, that's one of the reasons this movie did not work. You know what I mean? People see those two and it's just like, that demographic was not going to come see your hard sci-fi movie. So I don't know what people were thinking. Like, it seems so obvious to me that like, uh, when did John Wick come out? Like, I don't, like to me, like throw Keanu in there, man. Like, like that, that just makes way more sense. If Keanu's on screen with like the he's half dog, half person, we buy it totally. We don't clown on Keanu in 20, when did this movie come out? 2015? 2015. Um, so John Wick was like, eight months before maybe yeah so they, they didn't US. have the you know the kianasans had not happened yet so of course they couldn't have had the they couldn't have seen to the future like that but um mila kunis adam's right i i don't i wouldn't call her a great actress and I, i'm not the mean one on this podcast but i think uh oz the great and powerful is like a movie i saw where like everyone was doing their best work and then she was in and i was like oh she's like so so bad in this movie but um she's not for this movie he, he's right on that on that i'll give you that one adam one time thank you uh but channing tatum i thought was fine and you know and a lot of people can be like well he you know i like the magic mike movies uh i he was a little distracting and hateful eight uh but he's great in those 21 jump street movies so he can do some good stuff for sure and he um he kind of just had to look angry a lot of the time and just fawn over mila kunis which probably isn't that difficult to do uh on the day <laughs> but I don't know. I, I thought that Sean Bean is, of course, the, the actor you throw in with these other actors that we're, we're all going to gravitate to. Like, yeah, that was the best, coolest performance, you know, because he's like really he's going to crush everything. He's in. he's such a great character actor. Um, what did we think of the action sequences? I think that this um, I'm taking Adam's spot today. It's so weird. I think the action sequences are the part of the movie that I did sort of tune out on other than the one at the farmhouse, because I love anytime there's like space tech at a farmhouse it's like it's like halfway to um what's it called? steampunk it's like halfway to steampunk where it's like oh this cool tech and then it's like this like you know low-tech farmhouse but uh some of the action sequences did kind of seem the same as they went on it was just a lot of the same shit like Channing Tatum had to get from A to B in like a minute and he does it like three times and you're like okay cool Channing Tatum just flies into the room on those like um boots you know what I mean he just starts shooting people that happens like 10 times throughout the movie uh do we have any favorite action sequences farmhouse is probably the best one like I do think the action does get a little samey but like the tech like when you brought up the, the visual effects are so good in this and if they're not like perfect they're at least like visually interesting and dynamic in ways that you haven't seen before like yeah we're gonna clown on like 
every time Channing Tatum's like on his little light boots. But it's like, what other movie do you see that in? The problem is it does happen like a dozen times. But the first five times, it's like, okay, that's pretty cool. What else you got? And it's like, well, not, 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 not much else. But it is cool. So like, whatever, you know, if you have to, if you're gonna like repeat something, it might as well be something like marginally different. But uh, no, the farmhouse stuff I think is the best. Like the geography of it, the chase through the cornfields, the escape is really exciting stuff. Um, the 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 I do like also the, the little hospital one that kind of like evolved with the, the little little critter guys. I forgot what they're called. Um, and then like uh, the over Chicago, right? It's Chicago where they're at, right? Yes, yes. Like the blue night sky. Like this is just like a personal thing. That's like my favorite time of day. So anytime a movie can capture like that perfect, like magic blue hour, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Give me that shit. It's fucking gorgeous. And uh-huh. it is. And it's exciting. And, you go pew, 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 boom, 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 and that's it. Everything in the back half is like more interesting when it's not action to me. You know what I mean? Like I'm all into like the set pieces and like the designs and the architecture and the space. Like I love space in movies so much. Like Interstellar is at its best when it's just like Matthew McConaughey staring at stuff, you know? <laughs> not that I even dislike that movie, but like I just want to be in like an experience. And I think at its best, Jupiter Ascending kind of captures that on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, yeah, the, the farm scene is sweet. I also like that it's sort of punctuated with uh, the ship flying off and it's a crop circle in the form of like old alien crop circles. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, I'm, yeah, but I actually, I actually am agreeing with you guys in the fact that it's very samey, a lot of these things, but you could tell there's a lot of heart in these action sequences and they're very well planned out. And I would have to say that my favorite is probably Channing Tatum fighting uh, the dragon dude uh, as uh, the refinery is collapsing. You know, there's a lot of like clever things going on and he even uh, ends the fight by closing that warp hole portal that he created in the first place, which is very cool. And the whole thing just looks like, it almost looks fantasy, like he's in hell or something fighting the devil. I, I really like that, as you were saying, just the stylistic take on everything, even at the end. I, I, I'm taking the Trevor place here. I think I did. Like, maybe I like the movie more than he did. Uh, no, man, I'm telling you, if this is uh, if if we're talking space operas, Jupiter Ascending sings, baby. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um, I, I think you not not to derail this because I, I do want to get into more like the the set piece and stuff and like the designs of all the alien creatures like the dragon henchman dude i love that you brought him up because that that is so cool Mm -hmm. but like if you're talking like ranking them among the marvel movies you said like this is top five easy maybe top three like it's so good oh that's so awesome yeah yeah because uh, speaking of samey i mean I, i i've seen them all i've seen every marvel movie and i'm not here i'm not on this podcast to talk about like oh they're not i like the marvel movies uh, and we can rank them or do whatever the fuck but the, this is definitely like you it's really interesting because we're going to talk about director jail in a second and it's not like the, the wachowskis had a blank check at this point like but I, like they got the movie greenlit like you mentioned probably because they played ball with the studio and cast the two people that they didn't want to cast or whatever i just can't imagine having Channon tatum and mila kunis audition first of all and secondly win those roles do you know what i mean like it's just like they're not gonna win those roles i don't understand by the way did you uh see vanessa kirby in this movie 
uh, from um, Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. How weird was that? I, I I was like, is that Vanessa Kirby? And then it showed her like again, like three times. And I had to go on Letterbox, which is what I use as my IMDb now. And I was like, whoa, Vanessa Kirby in an early role. Interesting. And they're probably going to get nominated for Best Actress this year at the Oscars. Um, but shoot, I don't even know where I was. But it's just so it's just so original. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 there are some stuff taken from Flash Gordon, all of their influences and stuff. But like you mentioned, Lucas does that too. They're all kids that grew up watching serials and Star Wars and stuff like that. And it's just all all of it. Or is like just they just wear it on their sleeves and it's beautiful and i could imagine i mean i wouldn't own the coffee table book of all the designs but there would be a 2000 page coffee book i mean that's how you spend 150 million dollars right um what did we yeah. think of the designs and stuff the wedding scene the planets what what did we think of how how it looked oh it was, it was stunning like, i think i keep saying that but like it, it truly is like everything is so precisely color design specifically to like the three sibling antagonists the 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 abrax abrastics siblings i, I want to say abraxis but i think it's abrasax whatever it's just they're they're the bad guys they're uh eddie redmayne's siblings they're they're campy and fun and delightful um but like the wedding one in particular with the whites and the reds is like really striking and um i think it kind of I, I mean uh, along with flash gordon but I know this had a really positive response from like women in the, in the fantasy and science fiction communities. Like, cause this is clearly like a, a star Wars aimed more at girls primarily. Not that star Wars isn't for girls. Star Wars is, you know, the whole thing for star Wars is, is it's for everyone, but like this one is more female centered. And I think that also is in the designs too. It's less like aggressive, you know, like this is, there's moments of danger and, and adventure in, in these, um, there's production designs but like it's i don't know it, it doesn't feel like it was made by like men you know what i mean or you watch like pacific rim pacific rim is like oh yeah that's a teenage boy's like wet dream and i love pacific rim that's my favorite del toro movie probably but like it's it's it was made by like a guy and this one just feels more like feminine in a way that's we don't really see a lot of the time and maybe that's probably why it was also kind of rejected when it was first released too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think that's a great take. I I think, I think the Wachowskis in some way probably lack the male gaze, which helps that a lot, but, but also I don't know if I would agree because um, the, the sort of like loop of this movie is uh, the woman keeps getting in trouble and Channing Tatum, the big man hero has to keep coming in and saving her. You know, she doesn't really, she kind of pulls it together. And she kind of, you know, makes her own decisions and, and she's put into the place where like a forced marriage, you know, and I get the, uh, it, the ability to relate to that kind of scenario, but it does seem like uh, she's a damsel in distress most of the time. Yeah, it's a, it's really, ex I was gonna say it's a really expensive Disney movie, but it's probably not that expensive for a Disney movie. Uh, it does feel kind of weirdly toothless and childlike in nature, which is probably why I, you know, Jupiter Ascending Innocent. You know what I mean? Like, I can't hate on a movie that's not mean-spirited in any way. Like, if this movie was, like, hard R, and every time Channing Tatum zoomed into the room and he just started, like, just blowing people up, like The Matrix or something, I'd be like, I don't know. I mean, they're bad people, of course, and they're they're also aliens, which he probably could have gotten away with that. PG-13 is so interesting, where if, like, a bunch of alien blood was flying everywhere, like, still PG-13. It's weird how that works, but they choose not to do that. It's 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 completely bloodless. It's 
completely sexless. They have like, well, you know what I mean? Like uh, it's not the fifth element. I mean, we just watched the fifth element. It's like the one of the, one of the H wordiest movies that we'll ever watch on this podcast. By the way, Diego, we don't say horny. We say H word just in case you wanted to drop that word. Oh, later. okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But this movie is not H word at all. Um, it's it, it, like I said, it's, it's innocent. And that's why I think we're, we're being, we're being very kind to it because it's easy to be kind to it. Like, we're talking about like, is it, is it going to become a cult classic? No, it's probably not going to become a cult classic, but it might be something when the Wachowskis are done, people look back and be like, wait a minute, hold on that. Cause maybe the Wachowskis other than, you know, matrix four coming out soon, but maybe they don't make a lot of movies going forward. Um, certainly not together. And maybe we have to look back on this as like the barely post golden age of their movies. And we, we reassess it. I mean, we're ahead of the curve is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, can we instead of taking a break here for for advertising because we don't have advertisers yet uh adam can we take a break real quick here and uh play a little game yeah you teased this i'm pretty uh, intrigued what do you what do you got uh, it's a new game on the podcast it's called defend your tweets <laughs> this is gonna put a lot of people in hot water yeah and uh, Diego, don't worry they're not your tweets oh thank god <laughs> um Adam, on February 9th, 2021, you tweeted, Adam is ordering takeout from Medieval Times. You okay, bud? <laughs> yeah, I was just, uh, uh, what, are we going to sit here and lie to ourselves that Medieval Times doesn't have great food? This feels like we had like a pre-packaged bit that we were going to do back and forth. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. I mean, I guess we can't lie to ourselves. I haven't, I haven't been to Medieval Times. I wonder if something like that will ever recover from COVID. But, um, mm. well, that was one tweet, Adam. But on February 27th, 2021, you tweeted, when I go back to parties, my thing is going to be telling people I do impressions and then ask them to give me a suggestion and then say, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I figured I could uh, probably get away with that pretty easily. Yeah, because parties are not coming back. It's not like a thing that's actually going to exist anymore. Yeah, actually, you know, what's funny is I have, that's my second party trick that I've come up with. My uh, first party trick is uh, that I, I say I can multiply any two numbers in my head. Go ahead and give me, you know, crazy numbers, take out your calculators. And so some people give me, you know, like 12,843 and 5,916. And then I go, okay, all right. And then I take a long time. And then I just give the wrong number. Because <laughs> no one's fact-checking anyway. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can I steal that? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, fine. You've successfully defended your tweets. But, Diego, I did, I did run through yours real quick while Adam was going on about oh, whatever no. he was talking about. <laughs> 20, 21 hours ago, you tweeted, what are the best movie sex scenes? What's going on? <laughs> because... The cycle of Twitter discourse is that it repeats itself at least once a year. And once a year, someone or some group of people will be like, should we abolish sex scenes from movies? Like, do we really need sex scenes? And it's like, I don't know. Depends on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see it in like a Disney movie, but like, you know, if Paul Verhoeven's making something, then yeah, I should probably have a sex scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to answer that. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's what's going on. Like, I just, I, I didn't want to get directly involved in the discourse. I just want to, wanted to counter it with uh, another question. But what, yeah. what's your answer to your tweet? 
We, this is a gotcha show. Oh, okay. The 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 best sex scene probably. Oh, you know what? The opening to Heat's pretty good. Not the not the Robert De Niro part, but the Albertino part with his uh, soon to be ex wife. Yes, yes, good. yes. Well, uh, Heat, Trevor? Heat. Uh, um, probably the sex scene in Don't Look Now, where Donald Sutherland and I think Julie Christie are acting actually really having sex on camera. <laughs> oh know. yeah. Um, like, and if they're not, I, I don't know how they pulled that off. It just looks incredibly real. Adam, you're on the hot seat. Yeah, uh, there's a few of them in Happy Feet. You know, they don't actually get into it, but the way that they move and the rhythm of the movie is quite beautiful. Very nice. All right, everybody, congratulations. You have successfully defended your tweets. <laughs> Back to Jupiter Ascending. So we have a $176 million budget here. We have a domestic taken of $47 million, uh, a worldwide gross of 183. So this lost the studio, if you do the, you know, two and a half times, um, this lost the studio about a, a $300 million. So we're going to talk about director jail. Uh, we know that I believe Lana Wachowski is not in director jail anymore because she's working on Matrix 4, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been in director jail for about five years are we surprised they got out of director jail i mean like shouldn't this one be throw the key away i mean after a speed racer and this one and cloud atlas uh, how many in a row do you get to bomb and listen i'm not trying to throw the Wachowskis in director jail uh i would never throw Shyamalan in director jail he was there for a while and he got out is matrix four gonna get lana out of director jail oh here they also had sense they had sense eight also for a while right when was that yeah, that was um, around this time. Yeah, that was like after Cloud Atlas around this time. I, ne- I never saw Sense8, so I-, I couldn't speak to it. Yeah, me neither. No, but I think, I mean, if, if, if in the history of all of Director Jail, what other movie other than Matrix number four is going to get someone out of there? That's the perfect skeleton key. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um... I remember this is like I don't know why I remember this probably because I'm I'm just a big Wachowski sisters fan, but like Robert Cargyle, the co-writer of Doctor Strange, Sinister, like back when um, Sensei was ending or something like that, he had tweeted that he had met with Lana or Lily Wachowski. I don't remember which which sister, but that when he was talking to them, she said that it kind of felt like she and her sister were done, like just done making stuff. And this was years before the Matrix 4 announcement started happening, but it was after Sense8 had ended and, and it looked like, oh, they're, they're kind of calling it and they're going to they're gonna settle up. So maybe Matrix 4 is, is like the, the revival for one of them, but not both of them, you know, because I know they're also like artists on their own time and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, as sad as it would be for, for movies, if, if um, there weren't that many Wachowski movies anymore, that they would still have like avenues to express themselves. And I think that's kind of neat. But yeah, I do think this is going to rejuvenate the Wachowski's career. At least I hope so. You know? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Adam's got a good point there. It's like if, if any movie is going to get you out of director jail, it's going to be the going back to the one that people are. I mean, like I the second it goes up on HBO Max, unfortunately, hopefully that'll be remedied by the time it actually comes out. Um, I'll watch Matrix 4. Like the mm-hmm. Keanu Sans is in, it, you know, it's, we're maybe a little post Keanu Sans, but everyone still loves them. Uh, I, I, I cannot wait for another Matrix movie. So good good call, Adam, actually. I, I thought I, would, I had asked a really deep question there. Like, is Jupiter Ascending really going to be the last 
major do whatever you want movie that we're going to get from the Wachowskis. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, Bound came out in like 90, I'm going to say 97 yeah. or so. Uh, so it's been, it's been over 20 years, you know, like I'd love to see it extend to at least 30 years of Wachowskis. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say I'm a fan of the Wachowskis, um, but I'd certainly go see whatever they make. It's, it's really cool because the way that you describe the matrix is like, it's this really interesting profound idea about humanity and lives and they gave it to like these anime loving people who wanted to really go to town with it and i love that and you can see that again here um they just so specifically have their vision and it is offbeat from what uh society is and i love that they'll like delve i mean this jupiter ascending is a movie for disclosure furry fans all over the world you know this is like their favorite movie without a doubt and I love the confidence there. I love that they're just going for it. But that, I mean, that's why I bring it up, though, is because they hadn't had they haven't had a hit since Matrix Reloaded, right? I mean, like Matrix Revolutions. If you look into the box office, basically put them in director jail, which is crazy. I know it's nuts. And then they had to like ghost direct uh, V for Vendetta and parts of Ninja Assassin and stuff like that. And then they make Speed Racer, huge passion project, bombs. They make Cloud Atlas huge passion project bombs they make jupiter sending huge so it's like it's so hard not to root for a director that these studios just keep for some reason handing the keys to to make whatever they want like i that's why i love the wachowskis but um i, I just want to i just want to see them turn loose and i want to see them turn loose with a movie that's nuts and also is huge you know what i mean like i just want to mm-hmm. i that Shyamalan comeback was so satisfying to me that i just want the wachowskis to have it mm-hmm well, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't downgrade uh, Jupiter Ascending for its uh, lack of artistry or uh, technique. You know, they know what they're doing, the Wachowskis. It, it, it was well made. Yeah, no, I, I guess I guess I am going to take the Adam seat on this one because Adam it was like, he like texted me. He's like, I'm 30 minutes into Jupiter Ascending, F you. You know what I mean? And I'm just <laughs> like, all right. And then he was coming on the show acting like he loved the fucking thing. And I... I, I it is. I will say this. It was a little disappointing. This movie because the action is so samey. I didn't bring that up later because when you watch the Matrix, the action is so revolutionary and amazing, and it just felt like slow down, y'all. Like let's 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 like let's make these action scenes a little more unique and cool. And I think this movie gets received better. But it, it just was fighting an uphill battle the whole time. We we usually just talk about the plot of the movie, and right now we're kind of just talking about the Wachowskis um and it's own little canon and uh i like that i like that um does anyone have any other scenes that they loved from jupiter ascending before we move on to rating it uh i actually really like the last little note the ending where it, it is you know we're, we're, we're kind of dragging like channing tatum and mila kunis for like not being the most interesting parts of the film but like just them like dancing with their space heels space heelys in the sky like above chicago and the i don't know it's like that's like such a dorky image and it's so touching and sincere. And it's like, yeah, I'd watch these two go on more adventures together. Yeah. This is queen B. Hell yeah. You know, like it's just so like geeky and like, it's, it's cute. You know, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's heartwarming. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. While I was watching this and thinking of all the romances that we've seen in these space opera movies, like uh, Anakin and Padme or uh, in the fifth element, this one works the best, I think. I actually felt uh, the chemistry between them. I could see why they like each other. I, I was down for it. 
Um, great use of the Chicago skyline in this movie. They do it twice. The Wachowskis, uh, there's a scene in uh, Cloud Atlas where I believe they're in, are they in Seoul? Are they in Korea? Where they just destroy the skyline and that with a bunch of tech, really cool stuff. And then they destroy the skyline and the, the sequence there. And then they use it uh, beautifully at the end there. Uh, so good use of that. Um, let's just move on to rating the movie and then whoa, we can continue. Whoa, whoa. Okay, Adam. Adam always stopping me. And, and here's the crazy thing now. He's going to talk about a part that he loved or something where it's just like, go ahead, tell me, Adam. What did you love about this? There was a scene that I loved in this movie, Trevor, that I thought was fan fantastic. Can I guess what it was? Yes. Uh, so let me reverse engineer this. What is the um, corniest scene of Jupiter Ascending? Um Oh, is it the scene where um, the little weird creatures come in while she's having surgery? No, I'm not that much of a freak, Trevor. <laughs> All right. Tell me, what was it? It's the scene with, uh, I think his name is like uh, Administrator Bob, the robot. Greetings, your majesty. I am intergalactic advocate Bob, here to assist you through the ascension process. And That actor just playing that part so well, trying to go through all these things and he sees the other one who looks like himself and he's trying to handle it. I loved that. That was hilarious. That scene was really interesting because you have a two hour and seven minute movie and that seems like five, at least what, five minutes. That was like an extended sequence that you could just rip out of the movie. We don't need to see what her uh, immigration process is like. Well, what do we right. think the Wachowskis are doing there? Because it's played comedically, but there's definitely a pointed pointedness to, the, to that scene. I don't know. I, I think it's just like, it's a, fantasy, a science fantasy fable about like, how capitalism makes all of our lives more difficult, right? Because, like, the villains are very clearly, like, you know, they're trying to, like, monopolize the universe, basically, right? And, like, dry up resources and shit. And um, I think that is, it's, it's funny, but it's also a scene about, like, how hard it is to, like, you're, you're like, commodified in a system that you don't understand. But it's also very silly, so. Mm-hmm. And, and I think <laughs> it, also, it, work. it probably ties back to, you know, I think they want to talk about her being an alien and the you know the grand scheme of what an alien means not only here but relate it back to like oh getting immigration status here is probably just as difficult you know if not more so yeah and you probably have to play it as a joke or quote-unquote entertaining otherwise it's just like this needs to be cut from the movie there's no reason for this to be here but adam when i saw that scene i definitely did think that this was right up your alley comedically Oh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, the bureaucratic nightmare. And then, but that uh, actor, I've never seen Dirk Gently. And that's where that guy comes from. I don't know if you guys have, but I'm going to go check it out. ASAP, because I loved his performance. Probably my favorite performance in this movie. Wow. <laughs> that is that that is really saying something. I agree with you, though. He was, he was really, really great. I mean, uh, I, I love just a character actor coming in and knocking one scene out of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's move on. We're, we, we will start rating the movie. We can continue talking about it in context of our rating system. Uh, Diego, if you don't know, we have a bulletproof rating system here based on a, we do an intro to every genre episode. And in our intro to space opera, uh, we basically looked at the definition of space opera and we picked five categories that we thought would define the perfect space opera movie. Uh, so far, we've done Flash Gordon, Star Wars, uh, Attack of the Clones, The Fifth Element. Uh, Flash Gordon has scored 121 out of 150. Star Wars, Attack of the Clones has scored 128. Uh, both very good scores. And then uh, The Fifth Element broke our system and scored 160 out of 150. So uh, Jupiter Sending definitely has his work cut out for it. But I think if any movie is going to break this scale, kind of like The Fifth Element did, it's going to be the most cliche uh, space opera. And if there's one thing I got to say about Jupiter Ascending is that it was it was 
uh, it was basically filed down to be as cliche and cutesy and space opera as possible. So we're going to start here and you're going to rate it one through 10. Our very first category is how epic in scope is Jupiter ascending? That feels like a straight up 10. Like, I know that's like, that might seem like hyperbole right off the bat, but that it's a 10 for me. Easy. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what, what, what are we thinking here? Uh, I, you know, yeah, I, I feel you, Diego. I might give it a nine um, just because it is only within the solar system. You know, we didn't quite get out of here, uh, but we do get glimpses of that with other alien. Well, I guess they're not really aliens. They're just spliced together people. Yeah, I'll give it a nine. I'll stick with that. Yeah, this one is pretty quick. We don't need to do too much defending here. Uh, it's based on what I've seen in this genre so far. Massive. It's huge. It's uh, it's an absolute 10. Yeah, super epic. Um you know, Earth, Chicago, they use the hell out of Chicago. That's awesome. We go to a, like at least a few different planets. We see the solar, it's just huge ships, blah, 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 blah. It's an easy 10 for me. Um, awesome. Already off to an extremely good start for Jupiter ascending. Uh, category number two, how colorful is Jupiter ascending? This is also a 10. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, it has to be a 10. I mean, it's just like, do other movies use color this well? Like think of like the last decade alone, like what shines as brightly as this, you know? Never be sorry, Diego, uh, but I'm going to give it a seven. I, I agree. It uses a lot of colors pretty well, but um, there are a lot of moments, especially in Chicago when it is, the sun is already set and they're, they're trying to get that magic mood there, which I think they do, but it's mostly sort of uh, closer to just darkness, you know? I have to, you know, we watched uh, Flash Gordon and we're going to watch an anime film. I think color color is going to be hard to define here, but I don't think this one hits it. Yeah, Adam's got a good point here. Based on what we've seen so far, this is a, a very, very colorful, but it's not Flash Gordon. Um, I'm going to give it an eight. Uh, good, good point, though. Like what else has been using color like this? I mean, I'm bringing up a movie from 1980, so I had to go all the way back, you know, but I'm mm -hmm. basing it on what I've seen. Uh, what's coming up stuff like that um i can't imagine what this would have been like to see an imax like I, I like it's so crazy to me that people hated this movie so much you're but I royalty now i'm a splice you don't understand what that means but i have more in common with a dog than i have with you i love dogs i've always loved dogs so much but i guess i get it i understand it whatever we were it was a. Uh, one year pre uh, the Trump administration, people just had it so good that they could just shit all over Jupiter Ascending. And if Jupiter Ascending <laughs> came out in 2021, people would be, uh, you know, kneeling at the altar of the Wachowskis. So I'm giving it an eight. Um, category number three, this is a big trope in this genre. How unprepared slash reluctant is the hero of the story? That would be Mila Kunis in this situation. This one I'm, I'm having a little trouble with because like, I, I'm struggling between like maybe like it, anywhere between like a six and an eight just because the character's not that prepared, but I don't think she's that interesting. You know, like I like her, but I don't know. I might need you guys to help me out with this one a little bit. Sure, Adam, go, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. I don't think she's uh, very interesting. I think that's probably the failing of the movie and why I texted you F you after 30 minutes because it's just her story there in Chicago and it's kind of lame. Um, but I think, I think you're right. I think she's unprepared. I think she's not reluctant or she is reluctant um it's just not that much of a peak you know so i'd give it an eight 
Uh, I'm with Adam here. Exactly. I'm going with an eight. Um, this trope is extremely present in the movie. I mean, I have nothing else to say. You guys are talking about how interesting she is. That's not the category. It's how unprepared <laughs> and reluctant is the hero. Um, very unprepared uh, and pretty reluctant. Like, I don't want to be your queen. Stop calling me your majesty. Uh, the, the trope is real. I'm giving it an eight. All right. Well, you know what? I'll just give it the full 10 again because yeah, you're right. I was focusing on the wrong aspects of, yeah, of that. Trevor, put your money where your mouth is, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh good very good okay attention diego there uh moving on to category number four how optimistic is the film jupiter ascending now keep in mind that we did just watch a movie uh that was can be summarized by saying the fifth element is love i'm gonna give this one a nine a nine for optimism Ooh, why so low <laughs> I, I don't think it all comes together as perfectly as I'd like it to. I love this movie. I, I don't think it's a great movie. Uh, I think the message is is clear enough, but not it's not a home run. Little speed racer, it's a ten, but it's not. <laughs> hmm. You know what? I, I think I'm gonna go with my gut here and give it a six. Uh, I think you know this was in, intended to be like the start of something. You know, the world building uh, first movie in a saga and i think that leaves most of the the antagonists still alive out there still doing their like evil uh resource harvesting jig and uh also it, it really didn't change anything about mila's life i mean she found love but the rest of the world and her family are still like struggling yeah i'll follow uh adam's lead here uh i find the movie to be very innocent there is definitely an optimistic tone to it. I'm giving it a seven. Uh, before we get to this last category, I do want to say it is fascinating how high all of these space opera movies are, are doing on our, on our scale because we did Revenge as our first thing. And the Revenge movie scored okay on the scale, but it feels like every space opera we've watched has been like fully a space opera. Like it fits into all of these categories, which I, I really love. And when it landed on space opera, like if you listen to the intro or, or the outros when we do the, the actual wheel spinning, I'm kind of befuddled. Like what is a space opera? Like what makes up a space opera? So it's interesting that everything we've watched and it's not going to change. Our last two movies are going to be Cowboy Bebop and then some movie called Space Mutiny that we'll get to. But uh, moving on, I think I know where this is going to go to. How cool is the tech? It's a 10. It has to be a 10. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> okay, Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to add to that. 10, it's so cool. Uh, yeah, um, this was a clean sweep, obviously. Uh, it's a 10. Um, give me a moment. Uh, let me look up and uh, sorry, listeners, you're going to hear me clicking a little bit. Uh, let me look up the cast here real quick, but talk about the tech for a second while I, while I look up the cast. Um, uh, everything from the, the space helis to the evolving ships that switch around in the atmosphere. It's like, I don't know, like why, why aren't more movies this inventive with their, their science fiction technology? Like it's so exciting, you know, like, these designs are right at home with the Star Wars prequels. I like two out of three of the Star Wars sequels. Why weren't they this interesting? You know, like I don't, we have the technology. We clearly do. Mm -hmm. and they look fantastic, you know? Yeah. And it all, everything in there was a lot of fun. You could tell a lot of heart went into like, oh, I want to have a cool wind sonic gun. Oh, I want to have a, a, a super speeder motorbike or whatever. But the yeah, the space Heelys, like that's my dream tech. 
if I had to choose one thing from another movie, I would definitely take that. Yeah, it, the movie does feel like um, a delivery vehicle for the tech. You know what I mean? Like it feels like tech that may have been left over from like a Matrix universe movie that they just didn't get to make or something. And it then you have like the kind of cliched story within all of the cool tech. Uh, it's the easiest 10 I think I've given out on this show so far. And this is episode 15. I did look it up. So uh, Bay Duna, who is a um, Wachowski's regular Cloud Atlas Sense8, um uh, yeah she's been in a lot of their movies her um she had the blue hair in this one her like speed bike thing that she flew around on that uh could turn invisible that was cool that was like the first uh indicator that i we were maybe looking at a 10 here in the tech category so i i I love that um okay moving on uh we have a bonus category of course and there's gonna be some discourse here for sure how evil is the villain <laughs> Give it to us, Diego. It's okay. It's ten. They're, they're eating worlds. That's pretty bad. <laughs> it's like entire species and cultures. That's like really bad. <laughs> now, if we're talking like you know, interesting, mm. it's probably a little lower. But you still got Eddie Redmayne up in there, and he's camping it up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it an eight. I think. Uh, I think they kind of they have a certain justification to it. I really liked. Um, what was the the other brother? Not Eddie Redmayne. Um, you know, whatever his name was, he convinced me. You know, the first time he brings Mila Kunis down and shows her all that stuff, and he's like lying to her about how he, he wants to change everything. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll believe this guy. He seems pretty sincere. And I like that uh, he kind of hoodwinked me too. Even though it was, it was cliche, I fell for it, which I feel like doesn't always happen. Uh, yeah, they're just like that kind of cliched um, British uh, stuck up uh, family that just so happens to harvest lives and you know a hundred i thought one of the coolest things was that like was like a hundred lives fit into that little plasma bottle that then they would bathe in to stay young i thought that was awesome like that that feels like that's out of just that's a, a lot of stuff is so inspired in this movie and there's a lot of stuff that's not inspired and it's like oh, oh cool when it has 25 percent of rotten tomatoes it's like okay well 75 percent of critics then decided or like the 2.1 it has on letterboxd That means just the majority of people watch this movie and just decided to only focus on the parts that were just kind of normal or regular. And it's like, what about the other like 90% of the madness that went into this movie? Um, I'm giving it a nine. I love the red main performance. Uh, They're harvesting entire planets. Like when Kylo Ren blows up, how many how many planets does he blow up in episode seven? He just like blows three like of them five. up. Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. Like that, that's when you're like, oh, this dude's bad. This dude is real bad. <laughs> and like that, like at least Abrams got that right of like putting some stakes on the damn thing. But Jupiter ascending, it, the stakes are like, you know, if she doesn't stay queen, then they take the the throne back or whatever i'm just generalizing and they just continue so and it's even the thing where she's like give me my family back and i'll give you this and then eddie redmayne or she asked eddie redmayne like how long will it be until you harvest earth if you give me my family back and he's like 
I, you know, I, you know, it's not gonna be that long, right? And it's just so it, he's evil, man. It's evil. So I'm giving it a nine. Uh, you so know, uh, I would give the line by the other brother, uh, lying is the only reason I get out of bed in the morning, a 10 out of 10 for sure. Yeah. Who was that? that I liked his performance. I mean, it, yeah. I thought it was his name um, is Douglas Booth. Whoa. All right. It's Titus Abraxas, Abra- whatever the name yeah. is. Yeah. That's that's a hell of a name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could switch those, and I believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Diego, you have given the film out of a possible fifty points a fifty-nine. <laughs> uh, Adam, you have given the film out of a possible fifty points a forty-eight. Yeah, that's basically how you felt about the movie. Thankfully, yes. Uh, that that's the nice thing about this show is that we can either like a movie or hate a movie. It doesn't matter when it comes down to the rating scale, Adam and myself, we're very, very, we just, we go by what the, the scale says. We don't bring personal feelings into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that definitely won't happen on the cowboy bebop, the movie episode, <laughs> uh, myself out of 50 points gave Jupiter sending 52 points, mm-hmm. which okay. let's add them up on the show live for everybody. That's 59 plus 48 people at home have already done this plus 52 equals 159 points meaning it is one point below the fifth element for our Holy second cow. place Ooh, that's an upset <laughs> yeah that's an upset and uh we do uh, an outro to every genre we do an award show at the a- end of every uh, genre series that we do and Typically, the movie that gets the highest rated score ends up winning our Arrival of the Train at a Station uh, award for Best Picture. But, you know, that's not how that has to be, Adam. You never know. Like, by the time we get around to it, maybe we're liking Jupiter Ascending over the Fifth Element. But uh, by far, the two highest scores we've ever given on this show have gone to the last two episodes. And how do we feel about it, Diego? How do we feel about 159 out of 100 and uh, possible 150? I feel good. Um, you know what? I never thought about it, but I don't know if I like more than Fifth Element. I, I that would I'd need to revisit both again to like really settle that. But uh, I'm happy with that. If it's if it's not best, it's second best right now. I could live with that. Yeah. Yeah. This may be you know you were saying earlier, Trevor, but I can't see another uh, season that we do where the movies hit as hard into their category as this one. Uh, I think that the more specific genre, the more specific the movies are going to be and they're going to fall into place. You know, it's like a just it's like when you throw on 3D glasses or something, boom, there it is, space opera. Uh, And that's definitely what Jupiter Ascending is. And uh, when you read reviews, that's what people are saying. They're like either like this movie sucks, but it's a colorful space opera or this movie rules. It hits all of the things I love out of space operas. So Mm um shockingly high score and 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 i i can't say because i hadn't seen the movie so i can't say i didn't see it going this way but i did pick this movie as my pick thinking you know what we're gonna need we're gonna need a wacky movie in the middle of this series because we had just done revenge and we didn't have any wacky movies in the middle of that it was just hardcore revenge movies the whole time and little did i know that like every movie we would watch in the series would be like a wacky weird movie and i just was like of course it is because it's space opera so um i'm having fun during this series i think that's a really funny score two weeks in a row to just give (laughs) it's gonna be so sobering when we give movies like six seven six five four you know what i mean like it's gonna be weird um if I look back on it, I think our highest scoring revenge movie was like 
a hundred and I think the handmaiden was like 130 out of 150. So for Jupiter ascending to score three tens above that is it, just it's just crazy. <laughs> and uh, but I just I love the idea of saying like yeah I mean the handmaiden uh, is not as good as Jupiter ascending according to our <laughs> according to our rating scales. So um, Diego, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, but I did mention earlier that we have our outro to space opera episode that we'll be doing. And at the end we give away awards and we give an away award named after, I always have a tough time describing this, but we give away awards. And let me just give you an example, the Trevor Dillon award for clever villain or the Adam Wagner award for lamest planet. <laughs> um, so we give an award away in your name. Uh, and it can apply to anything space opera related. It doesn't have to be space opera. It doesn't need to even lean towards Jupiter ascending. Uh, but the other ones in this category are going to be the Jordan, uh, the Flash Jordan Award for shitty red mane. Which isn't going to go to this movie. I don't think Possibly. it's going to go to this movie. I don't think it's going to go to this movie. I'm going to have to figure that out. Yeah. Um, we have the Cody Chavez Award for biggest battle because he brought on Attack of the Clones. We have the Haley Mervini Award for most realistic future. And then we have the Katie Tomeni Award for most pew pew laser, which Jupiter Settings got a good shot at that one. Uh, Diego, what would you like to have for your namesake award? You know what? I, you got to go with something like the most colorful, the Diego Award for most colorful movie or motion picture or something like that. Because I was nuts about the color in this movie. So I would like for that to be how I'm remembered in this competition. Interesting. We could quantify that with, uh, with our numbers. Yes, we could, but uh, are we speaking purely of use of color or are we talking about representation? Uh, color. I, I wasn't thinking representation. I don't, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Mexican, but I'm a little light-skinned. I don't know if I have the pull for that. I don't Adam, Adam do, you know any, do you know anything about that? Uh, I'm also light-skinned Mexican, so I'll stay yeah. in the same camp. <laughs> uh, I'm outnumbered here. Uh, Diego, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Thank you so much. This was, this was a really fun episode. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a delight. Uh, I'd love to talk to you guys again, either here or, uh, of course, on The Waffle Press, where you can find me at The Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can get early access to stuff like uh, Happy Amblin, which is the aforementioned Steven Spielberg, uh, Adam Sandler podcast that is going to be on its third season this summer, um, because that's quite a big topic. And right now we're covering monster movies for uh, Godzilla versus Kong. And uh, the Legend of Korra retrospective from our Avatar retrospective from last year, which is uh, going to be ongoing until the beginning of summer, I believe. So, yeah, lots of stuff happening over there. And again, thank you guys for having me on. This was this was a blast. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you for being here. I, one second. Oops, Diego, I'm getting sorry. I'm getting a call right now and it says that you are a great guest. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you uh adam uh I, I call us the bad boys of podcasting well i don't call us that our, our listeners do but uh um diego and and gene are like the the kings the godfathers of, of podcasting so it's an honor for sure adam do you have anything you want to plug uh please follow me at projector fuel on instagram where i post my movie stuff and uh my website adamjcwagner.com you can find the movie stuff i make Awesome. And uh, I am at Captain Dills on Letterboxd, where you can find a list of me ranking all of the movies we've talked about. Uh, of course, now Jupiter Ascending will be ranked number two in the space opera. Uh, personals at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter, and always at Ghost Party Picks 
on all of their socials to see what we're up to. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever to Apple Podcasts. Smash that follow button on Spotify. Adam, we're on Google Podcasts now, huh? That's right. Search us up on the most popular search engine in the world. <laughs> it's interesting that we always say like, um, you know, follow us. Like people are, if they're listening to this podcast, they're listening through whatever their favorite is. Whatever your favorite thing is, whatever you're listening through, try to review us, try to follow us, whatever. It really, really helps. Um, anything else that we want to add, Adam? Uh, what did you, what did you think overall of the vibe of this episode? This was a, this was a great time. I had a blast and I'm going to walk away from this, not having to edit it. It's going to feel good. Yeah. I, I got to edit this episode, uh, but luckily uh, it went really well. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, Diego, thank you. Uh, you're going to be a fan favorite. Hopefully we can have you on the show many, many times. Yeah, I, I'd be honored to. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening to ghost party radio. Adam, we have officially Jupiter, the ascending. Oh God. No, I forgot the name of the movie for a second. <laughs> We've officially ascended the Jupiter. Yeah, maybe. Bye. Bye. Mm, that's a 10.